0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode, actually no no no, scratch that, a very special episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host Ray Harkins, and the reason it is so special is because of the guest, his name is Chris Hanna, he's in the band Propagandi, and my mind is blown. This was a person who I had on a very initial list of people I would like to speak to in regards to this show. But I kept going, no, I can't bug him. No, like, I don't think this thing is worth his time. And, you know, just kind of doubting myself. Hit him up over Twitter. Super nice guy was agreed to donate about an hour of his time. I'll gush in a minute about propaganda. Oh, So excited. I can't wait to bring this to you. Anyways, but you'll have to wait for, give me a few minutes. So I keep teasing this announcement and I promise it will be coming soon. It's just, like I said, it's got to be the right time, the right place. It's got to, it's a launch, okay? So just give it some time. If you're waiting with bated breath, I apologize. But I imagine most of you are just like, oh yeah, okay, that's fine. No problem. Got to do something fun recently. I was able to sort of uh, turn a little bit of my year around with this event So I was able to get on stage with my old band Taken and do a show with our friends in Sayosin who have reunited with their original singer, Anthony Green, a future guest on the podcast. Nice little tease there. Extremely awesome because the last show that we had played, it uh, wasn't that good. And uh, through no one's fault because, you know, I mean, I understand people may not like us and people may not want to move around and have fun. I get that. That's fine. But this show was like, whew, talk about a breath of fresh air. It was so much fun. And another reason why it made the evening so special for me was the fact that I was able to bring my son, my three and a half year old son, to watch the show. It was his first show. It, my wife was super nervous because, of course, she had no idea how our son was going to react to, like, oh my gosh, daddy is yelling and spitting over people and he looks possessed or whatever. She had no idea. And plus, like, you know, kids are shy, they don't want to be in a room of, you know, a thousand people, but he handled it like a champ and it was really really adorable and honestly emotional for me because it sits in such a weird place in my head that event because here's something that i started in high school with the band taken that broke up in 2004 and we've sporadically done stuff you know every few years but now are kind of you know officially back whatever that may mean but something i started in high school and then now to have my son Watch it, it was just like, what? This is so strange. And yeah, I know that this is not an entirely unique experience. Like, sons and daughters have watched their fathers play music, but it just, it was weird. So, but it was great. And I was so happy to experience that. It definitely gave me a little spring in my step after that show. Because for those of you that pay attention week by week, this year started off pretty crappy, but it's slowly but surely turning around as I would expect it to do, hopefully. I mean, because if it's a terrible year, like I'll just write this whole thing off right now. I digress. Chris Hanna. It, it was so awesome for me to discuss propagandi with him and just kind of find out about him as a person because propagandi to me, when I first started to listen to them, when I was, uh, you know, 13, 14 years old, it was insanely, insanely special for me. And the reason I say that is because the band introduced me to so many cool ideas from animal rights, from political beliefs to human rights. So many things I just, I really never considered, obviously, at that age, you're just kind of, you know, figuring out who you are, and what you should care about. And Propaganda was so instrumental. I know to me, and many of my friends and peers, Propaganda is such a touchstone. It's awesome. It's incredible. And the band is still, to this day, so vital in making some really, really, not only incredible music, but making very divisive and opinionated statements on whatever it is they decide to address lyrically. This band is I- extremely important. I can't state that enough and that's not an overstatement that is a complete factual that is truth. I was able to speak to Chris over Skype one afternoon I don't know I just there's something about it towards the very end where it was like I just felt such a kinship with him and it, I never thought I would be in that place to be able to speak to him for an hour and have him be like thanks I needed that Ray. It's like whoa that just blew my mind. So, anyways, without further ado, here's my discussion with Chris, and I will talk to you after.
1: So
0: interjection, and then obviously that will uh, lead into uh, different discussions, but the, uh, so here I am as a freshman in high school, which is uh, probably like 1996. I want to say so. I, I'm doing a presentation. I can't remember exactly what or what it was about or what the structure was, but basically, you had to play some media. So whether it was a you know recording or or TV show or whatever, and I, I think I was doing something on like political songs in general. And so for whatever reason, here's me going to a Lutheran high school. I thought that it would be appropriate to not play any of the swearing parts, but play the song "Head, Chest, and Foot" uh, in my in my presentation. So I played it, and you know, this is even though I mean I'm in Southern California, so people have heard of punk music by this point. It was still like, "What the fuck are you doing? Why are you playing this?" And then I think I quickly played Rage Against the Machine after that as well, <laughs> which you know, bummed people out even more. I I want to believe that my experience was not isolated and people have told you about random instances where they've used your music (laughs) in places you would not have ever expected when you wrote that stuff. Do you have any sort of anecdotes of like, oh, wow, why did you use my song in a college presentation or something like that?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think if you stick around long enough as a band, somebody's going to reference you in something that you might not even be deserving of. All the way from people's little high school projects, you know, over the course of 20 years to, I mean, there's been some s- scholarly papers um, people have shared with us in the past, say, seven years uh-huh. um, that actually reference our lyrics. Uh, a little compendium coming out that's been co-edited by Chuck D that includes scholarly writings, you know, trying to trying to uh, deconstruct some of the lyrics on, on some of our older records mm-hmm. uh, for the purposes of, you know... Uh, like in an academic setting it's it's really strange like I, I barely got out of high school so it's really strange for me to to see that but it's it's kind of cool and, and it kind of it rings a bell for me because when i was in high school i used to you know i used to submit megadeth lyrics as a fucking as my own <laughs> as my own work when i was late for poetry class or something you know i'd submit uh the p cells lyrics as my own poet poetry
0: right you'd you'd appropriate it for yourself
1: yeah, and I would get
0: a B and I'd be like, "Oh, fucking rights." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "Yeah, see this music isn't worthless." <laughs> mm-hmm. So, the you yourself, were you you were born and raised in Canada,
1: correct? Generally, yeah. I was my dad was uh, was a fighter pilot in the Air Force. So, mm-hmm. we kind of moved around a lot. We spent a little bit of time in Australia. In the 70s, but mostly I was in Western Canada. You're in in Winnipeg right now, correct? I'm in Winnipeg, and most of my um, formative years—I would call them—were spent in uh, just outside of Portage la Prairie, which is an hour from here, uh, on an Air Force base called Southport, which is no longer, which has been decommissioned since then. But Mm -hmm. that's where um, all of my formative memories and experiences. Uh, That's where I I credit them to.
0: There's so many things to unwrap in the fact that you exist in a basically a cultural void because it's no no one references. I mean, my experience with Winnipeg is is flying to there to go to somewhere else, like you know, because it's a cheaper flight. Um, But then there obviously there's been so many you know cool cultural things that have come from there you know since obviously with you know you guys weaker than's and uh, you know Guy Smiley and burn the eight track you know. No, but uh, I mean, I presume that that experience of of kind of being in the sort of middle of nowhere felt
1: isolating in many respects. I guess so. People don't really think about it when they're here. They don't. uh, Maybe you think about it when you you go on tour and and you realize, wow, all these cities get all these other bands and all this, you know, Winnipeg doesn't get a lot of stuff coming through. And it never, you know, there was points when it did periodically, but it's also an economically depressed city. Mm -hmm. So to this very day. Using the, the revival of, of uh, the thrash metal scene as just, a, just an example here, a lot of the bands from the 80s are back together and they, and they go play shows, lucrative shows, especially to the west of us in the, in the provinces that are tar sands oil rich, um, where people uh, make exponentially many more dollars than they do here in Winnipeg, uh, and they, they skip over Winnipeg. Or some of them might do it as a, as a fuel stop. It, it sticks out to people here that everything passes over Winnipeg and goes to the to the places where the money is, right? Right. And so, so you kind of you start doing your own thing. Well, th- that band's not coming here, so let's do it ourselves. You know, no one's coming here. Let's just, everyone makes their own music. Um, to some degree, maybe not now, uh, but at some point, people were really, really, Winnipeggers were really, really supportive of, of Winnipeg culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm thinking specifically of bands, you know, around in, in the 90s, It helped the bands you know really develop instead of instead of having to compete with all these unbelievably good international bands monopolizing the the local venue it was all local bands so so maybe that was maybe it was a good thing
0: yeah yeah well yeah you had to obviously create your own because nothing like you said nothing was coming there yeah what was your family structure like do you have brothers and sisters and uh you obviously mentioned your father was a fighter pilot did your was your mom like a housewife did she just take care of you
1: well, she was. She worked too. She was. Uh, she. She was a travel agent. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, my sister. I have one sister, an older sister. I mean, as far as life on air force bases was concerned, I, I look back and I realize how lucky I was that my, you know, my father wasn't abusive to me, my sister, or my mom. You know, given you know how I see that era now and how I see the the families that I spent time with back then, and my father wasn't. Uh, he didn't abuse alcohol like many of the other people on the Air Force, I mean, life on an Air Force base is, uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of structure, but it's also not what it seems. A lot of things are a facade. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's can be a stifling life to be on this tiny, isolated community where you are expected to do to fulfill certain roles, you know, I don't know, it's, it's tough. Now, some of this I'm projecting, you know, just, yeah, just as a stream of consciousness, as you ask me, but I guess in the back of my mind, I, I remember some very dark times for other people, other families. I also remember some, I mean, my best memories are from them too. My mm-hmm. very best memories of uh, life in a small community. But, uh, I guess what I'm saying is I, aside from uh, what would appear on the surface to be a huge ideological divide between my father and I, by the time I was a teenager, I don't have a lot of sob stories with my family.
0: Sure, sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's cool because like you said, there, there is that element of getting swallowed up by uh, obviously a system and feeling like, you know, like you said, the only thing you can kind of, you know, sort of retreat to from, you know, using your father as an example Uh, you know, he could have obviously just been like, well, I I hate doing this, but I guess this is service. And uh, well, I guess I'll just turn to drinking or whatever. And like yeah, there is there's a rampant abuse in regards to that. But obviously, like you said, it's it's better if from the outsider's perspective
1: that no one sees that. I think, yeah, a lot of it was taken for granted. Just there's a lot of presumptions made about uh, social life and social social structure in in such a I mean, it's the it's the archetype for a patriarchal society right you, you can't really go any farther than uh, air force community a military community in the in the 70s and 80s it was like it was basically like living in the 50s you know what i mean
0: right
1: and uh yeah that's that's what it was but it's uh, as a as a as an aside to all this or as a almost an epilogue to the you know just thinking out loud about me and my dad my dad was actually turned out to be the person who introduced me to chris hedges you know, my, my dad was at one time a, f- a fighter pilot in Europe and was part of a, a coalition with, with the American Air Force as part of a, a nuclear tactical strike force. And his job would have been to annihilate uh, a city full of civilians somewhere in Eastern Europe in the event of a, uh, a Soviet invasion of mm-hmm. the West. And he was prepared to do it and has stories about being very close to that actually occurring in the 60s life has gone on and he was the one who bought me the book war is a force that gives us meaning um by chris hedges which is essentially an exploration of human frailty and why people why people kill each other why Mm -hmm. people uh wave flags and kill each other for it and that was a huge i mean chris hedges has been very influential in my life since then and uh my my ideas have developed from that and who knew that it would be you know, the dad who I referenced in songs. You
0: right. know. Do, do you think that, do you think that was him obviously trying to create a bridge
1: with you? No, it was, no, I'm not, that wasn't the feeling I got. It was, it was a completely independent discovery on his part. That's awesome. Um, people change.
0: Yeah, no, they do. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it always, some of the most compelling stories of people that you hear, it's like, you know, whatever, using a person like Howard Lyman from the Mad Cowboy uh, right. book where it's like, these are, these are people who are, are, are tried and true in their lifestyle. And then all of a sudden you get this one nugget of information and then you completely change the way that you think. And it's like, that can happen when you're 14 and that can happen when you're 65. It doesn't
1: matter for sure. And we often, I mean, that's one of the things now in my middle age, mm. I try to try to think about, it. I was very much prepared, um, back when we started the band to throw babies out with the bathwater when it came to other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's just being strident or dismissive of people that, you know, I think everybody goes through it, but um, I'm way less willing to do that now. I really believe in, in the right of people to learn and change.
0: People could obviously listen to your early recordings and be like, um, not, not be able to place you in context to where you are now. And it's just like, oh, well, dude, you're a fucking sellout, bro. Like yeah. where where are you now? It's like oh you're having kids. Like oh man Chris what like <laughs> do I, I presume I presume you don't get a lot of that direct feedback from people that have um you know whatever disagreements with you because I, anyways I a question I wanted to ask you was. Because obviously you uh, you know have made almost every political belief that you have you know publicly known and put yourself out there and obviously have done it in a in a framework of like okay I don't I don't pretend to know everything but I think I think I know these things that obviously makes you a target where it's like people constantly want to challenge what it is that you've espoused um, is it is it one of those things where that that in and of itself just gets
1: tiring uh it does, but but it's reasonable i th- I think what's what's tiring is that people come to you and, and they think it's it's a new thing they're doing. you know people when someone's smug to you, it's gonna turn you off but but on the other hand, you know, if I can't stand the heat, I shouldn't have wandered into the kitchen and started telling everybody what I think. you know what I mean <laughs> No, that's true. We've never been above criticism. sometimes we've handled it really well sometimes we've handled it very poorly uh that goes for you know our values as well life life is full of teachable moments we constantly have dealt with that and and we're just trying to i think we're just trying to be better people we don't want we just don't want to well you don't want to become a cartoon first where where the where your values are patently false because you can't live them mm-hmm. first of all and second of all we feel really strongly about the value, even the values we were expressing early on in, in the band's history. Like I, I, I regret the delivery because everybody regrets what how they formulated their arguments when they were fucking 16 right. and when the, a lot of those songs were written when we were teenagers. So obviously, the, you, you know, it's like looking at a yearbook picture. You will, Oh, please don't look at that. Don't open that and read that. You know, most of the values that we expressed back then to, you know, with with nuance over the years now, uh, I still stand by them, and yeah. I want to. I want to live them out. I don't want to. I don't want to be that person who just looks back on all of it as youthful folly. Yeah, and and, and dismiss your own history. You know.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really. It comes through very clear to me in the way that, especially you know, whatever the the press and interviews you've done over the past couple of years, where it's like clearly the band in and of itself has become more and more aggressive in the metal tendencies that you've always explored in your band have just become more pronounced. And it's funny because obviously the the notion as you get older with an independent music is that like, oh, you're supposed to chill out. Like, when are you going to join that indie rock band or whatever? And it's like, all you've done has been like, nah, man, like, I can't wait to just really dive into this guitar solo that I can put in here. And it, it, it's it's funny because that, you know, obviously goes back to like you said, it's not just some character. You're like, no, this is like literally me expressing myself because I want to still be aggressive.
1: Yeah. We can't, we can't deny that either. That down to a molecular level, we love loud, fast music and and yeah, we we literally can't help it. Right. And, um, we, we have, we have some good, you know, there's some pioneers that have gone before us, uh, up up here in Canada that we, we kind of, you know, look up to in that way that have never, I mean, they have no, they have zero profile anywhere else in the world, but there's, you know, some metal bands or punk bands from Canada that have never slowed down, quote, literally or or metaphorically. And um, that inspires us, you know?
0: Yeah. That's the, that's the blueprint which you can work from.
1: Yeah. The idea that, that only youth can produce raging rock is bullshit.
0: So Propaganda is essentially your first band,
1: right? Yeah, it it is the first band. I was in a couple of others in the uh, bands, you know, for a, a few seconds, uh, as as everybody is when they first start bands back in the day when they mm-hmm. first start playing instruments. But yeah, Propaganda is the first band. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so I mean, when when you were doing these these formative bands, I presume that was like when you were in uh, elementary school and going up to to high school.
1: It was it was more high school. I started playing guitar when I was about fifteen or so.
0: How did independent music kind of start to infiltrate you? Was it was it purely through Metal? Um, or how was that, you know, introduced to you in the first place?
1: Purely through metal, through the through the uh, thrash metal scene that was, you know, really, really vibrant back in the uh, early and mid 80s. Even up, even, you know, so far as to reach uh, a, an Air Force base, there was, you know, there was a real, uh, an underground infrastructure where people traded tapes and wrote letters and I was part of that. I was lucky to to find a way into it early on, which 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 plays into you know the metal scene was originally a, a very DIY scene. It uh, in the late '80s it, it got gobbled up and watered down by corporate interests. But in its in its heyday, which I regard as you know between 1981 1986 or seven, it was very much a DIY scene. From there, our drummer, uh, Jord, who who was always smarter than me, um, was kind of attracted more to punk bands which at the time i wasn't interested in um but he, he would keep playing me these records and, s- and some I'd be like ah, that's pretty good it's not bad and then and i think as as the metal scene as i said became more bought out and watered down and less exciting and less felt less like you know an underground community i started to see these punk bands that had all the you know they had all the the sonic features of the metal bands i liked <clears throat> thinking of mdc or croshna conformity but they also had they also seemed more like they were in tune with with an underground infrastructure that was more raw felt more real and exciting i kind of gravitated then towards sort of the crossover scene into the punk scene eventually finding bands like born against and drop dead and being like whoa this is this <laughs> says, this, this is awesome yeah i mean if you look at the the, the metal bands i loved in the eighties and the nineties, they were fucking awful. They were doing, making terrible records and the punk bands were making, and the hardcore bands were making these really exciting, uh, really vigorous and thought provoking records. So, you know, it just, that was the, the genealogy of it.
0: Yeah. And so what kind of, what kind of kid did you find yourself being in high school? Were you that, uh, you know, a, a, a typical sort of like indoor kid for lack of a better term, or had you started to play hockey at that time?
1: Yeah, I was I was still playing hockey. I I just moved into the city uh for most of my high school and I was completely alone. Had could not relate to the city kids. No there was no metalheads at my school. There was one skinhead. We always looked at each other in the hallway, but <laughs> I was I was I was on my own. I was just totally on my own. Felt I had no connection to any of the other kids in the school. Just spent most of my time playing guitar and you know, immersing myself in the records that I loved. Yeah,
0: you were, you, you were uh honing your craft, even though you didn't even know what that was at that time.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, obviously, as as propaganda started to, you know, uh, whatever, get out there and and make your presence felt as far as like touring and stuff like that. What did your parents think? Were they looking at you and being like, Chris, you're making terrible decisions, like this is awful, or were they basically like, well, he's going to make up his mind. And we can't really stop him. Where where were they at?
1: They were never hostile. I think they were probably just kind of bemused by the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're playing in a band. Oh, oh, good. You're leaving the house and there's other people involved in this. Oh, that's great. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you're not just you're not just in your room by yourself. That's oh, that's great. Well, um, make sure you still have uh, that uh, that job at Kmart. Uh, just keep that job. Don't don't lose that job. And that's you know that's all they worried about. They they encouraged me to to try to go to school beyond high school but it didn't work out and but then no they've never they were I, they weren't like right on this is great i you're you're gonna make a career of this or something they were just they were just kind of bemused really is the only word i can think of
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so, to
1: this day they're 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 bemused by the whole thing right
0: it, it, it it's still um it still doesn't really kind of resonate with them or they do they admit the um I guess the fact that this is a, a valid thing that you've kind of dedicated your life to or is it like oh that's cute chris
1: Yeah well maybe a bit of both I think I think they're just really excited that you know I'm I'm still doing this with our drummer Jord who I was friends with you know for for such a long time now I think they they think that's really maybe they think it's cute or they think it maybe what's another word charming of, charming? charming charming or uh heartwarming or something Oh sure yeah comfortable and, uh, and uh, i mean in my mum's basement she has these clippings of from all the, these newspaper things you know you know how newspapers used to you know even show friday night the royal albert propaganda with meat rack and immortal possession you know right, right. she's cut it out and put it on this bulletin board she has this bulletin board full of these pictures and it's actually you know, if you go and look at it, you're like, "Holy fuck! It's pretty impressive." We looks like we actually got a well-respected band. This is crazy. Right. You know. So, in her eyes, she looks at the bulletin board and, she, and she's like, "She get she's excited that I actually did something with my life instead of just nothing." Right. Yeah. <laughs> instead of instead of joining the masses, so to speak. Yeah, because I, I I wasn't really headed in in any direction. I was probably just going to be a guy who would try to get a job at a record store and then uh, drink himself to death at some point. Right. So, <laughs> Did you battle with
0: uh, you know, like any sort of uh, horrible substances when you were uh, younger um, in regards to like, any dark times that you were trying to – you know, it, it was a good thing that you could focus on music, that it was able to take you away from any bad path you were heading down?
1: No, I, I, I never even drank until, until I was 18 or something just wasn't interested mm-hmm. i saw what i saw what it, you know i thought the other kids that did that that were drinking and smoking I, they were boring i wanted i wanted to go play street hockey i wanted to go up to the gym play basketball you know i'd seem more interesting to me and i wasn't even really a jock i just just felt more fun than sitting in a garage smoking and drinking beers at the time right now you know as 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 life has gone on and i feel more prematurely aged by the world around me. You know, I probably grapple more with substance abuse, alcohol abuse. I don't know. I wouldn't I don't know if I would call it abuse, but I, I grapple more with um using alcohol as a coping mechanism now than I ever did as a as a young person. You're aware of it more. Yeah. Like I um I also world weary compared to who I was in my teens and twenties. Sure. You know, to some degree I do feel emotionally stressed by world events.
0: A lot of people can watch the the, the news and obviously like not actually apply it to their lives. These are just stories that are being told to them whereas, yeah. whereas people you and I consume these things and are just like, "Oh, like that that it's a weight as opposed to yeah, just a simple thing that's on in the background.
1: It's a weight, yeah, and I think just again not from my family but from <clears throat> not from my me- immediate family but from the kind of neighborhoods I grew up in, the just the groups of friends, the culture I grew up in alcohol was a way people coped and I'm not immune to uh, being part of the culture around me. So I don't, I you know, I don't, not out of control, but I, I think about it sometimes.
0: No, well, uh, yeah, I think the, the general awareness shows the fact that you're obviously cognizant of it. Cause I, I mean, head in the sand and not, oh, not acknowledging the fact that, you know, this has existed around you for a long time. And this is, like you said, is part of the culture that you've been surrounded by, then it's, uh, it's, it's not going to be constructive for you in realizing that this may, may or may not be an issue.
1: I, I notice it more in friends around me, The dependency, and uh, so it makes me think about myself. Uh, It's just it's so normalized uh, that people get blitzed. um, Still at this, you know, I'm I'm almost forty five. Some of the people I know just still cope like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Switching gears, you know, referencing like your 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 mom's bulletin board and uh, all the clippings that she has around that. Um, when did you yourself start to kind of feel that um, propaganda had become like more than you really anticipated? You know, was it was it upon you know obviously like signing with Fat Records and putting out you know the first couple of releases, or was it a little bit later where you're like, oh wow, like. I'm doing this, and I don't need to get a job in between tours. Where did it kind of congeal for you?
1: Yeah, probably a little later, maybe late '90s. That, uh, it's you know, it, it's everything was a novelty in the early '90s, and it just seemed like it was. It seemed realistic that it would just be a fleeting experience in our lives. The late '90s, we were like, we, we realized, oh, this could be. Uh, we could sustain this. We could keep. We could keep being creative, and not have to depend on working. Uh, Soul destroying jobs uh, in the course of it. If if we if we commit to this, or or only recently have I thought, oh wow, the, I can kind of look back and see everything, mm-hmm. and and it's maybe a little more. Even though we have a lower profile now than we than we have in many years because of the nature of the music business, the nature of our society. Where old, the older you get, the less interesting you are to people, and uh, just we have a lower profile in terms of record sales and and in terms of people coming to shows, but. Now I look back and things look way more impressive than they did back in the, you know, the quote unquote heyday of, of, the, of the scene we were involved in. So it feels more meaningful now.
0: Yeah, uh, it's awesome that you're at least able to glean that from looking back because my, in my experience living in Southern California, it's like, I think the first time I saw you guys was when you played a random show with Final Conflict at like a bank in uh oh,
1: yeah, you were at that fucking fiasco.
0: Yeah, I think I was sixteen. I had some show going experience, but I was like, "What the?" I was like, "This is not good." It <laughs> like, was one of those
1: skinhead central fucking. Are we going to get out of this alive? Kind of shows.
0: No, totally. And it, it was. It was. I. I think that kind of you know cemented a place in my head where you guys were i mean obviously like you like we were talking about earlier where it's like you were a lightning rod for people wanting to either come kick your ass or talk to you specifically about this one lyric and you know have a dialogue about it that was obviously more in the minority you guys were kind of just this weird this band that didn't make sense because it was like you had uh, again, being from Southern California, I was inundated with Epitaph and Fat Records and all of these, you know, No Use for Name and Strung Out and all these bands that, you know, essentially were maybe speaking about things that had some sort of political overtones, but no one that really head on addressed the issues like you guys did, especially in plain English. Um, and so I think because of that, it was like anytime you guys toured, it was always like, a, oh, my God, like this could be the last time we see them. and I it's weird because I I mean I think I saw you guys the last time you came out here when you played at the glass house and every time in my head I'm like yeah this is probably the last time I'm going to see propaganda like they're just they're not going to exist anymore maybe it's just because it's been pounded into my head I presume you guys like never and I'm making projections here but did you guys ever feel like Part of that community when you guys were obviously like going out there and, and touring and you know kind of being in it in the late '90s and early 2000s,
1: like part of uh, the, the Fat Records community or part of
0: yeah yeah more specifically part of like you know that that sort of like punk culture um, as it was when it started when it started to kind of tip more towards the mainstream. No, I think we
1: felt. I mean, we had a really good relationship with the people at the at that mm-hmm. record label specifically. They're great people to us, but um, we always felt very isolated if not alienated from the uh, the general culture that surrounded that whole scene and i and i think i think you could see that in shows like that show at the bank most of our shows in southern california uh back then were shows where we didn't know if we were going to get out alive of the shows um because the band i think some of the the people that would show up to a well-organized no effects show uh in a you know in a venue that that had security in a stage and and stuff would show up to our shows which were these ad hoc barely organized things DIY things in a in a hall somewhere you know where there was no structure there was no no sense of a chain of command in case something went wrong it it was just chaotic it was it was uh it was also very exciting at the time right um, and it was something i i thrived on as a young person I I absolutely do not thrive on that now. Right.
0: Yeah. You're (laughs) like, I don't, I don't want to show up at a place (laughs) having that same sort of experience now.
1: Yeah. I liked it then. Like I, I was very stressful and fearful. And it's actually why John Sampson left the band back then. He, he no longer, he didn't want a part of that anymore. And at the time as scary as the situations were, uh, they were electrifying. Uh, I, I had a weird, uh, psychological thing going on where, uh, I thrived on the confrontation between, between us, this, this pathetic pencil necked group of guys up on the stage and our values versus these fucking jocks and skinheads that would come and try to push everybody around at the shows. You know, I, I, I felt, I felt this righteous, righteous indignation and, and was exhilarated when we survived those shows. But, uh, I don't have room for that in my life anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm really glad you brought up that sort of like pushback and confrontation because it it did, it it seemed like with every, every record that you guys put out, you know, even obviously up until your last LP, there is always that, that, um, that sort of mirror that you're holding up, not only to yourself as the person who's obviously writing the music and the lyrics, but then to the people who actually engage, you know, engage with the record on a deeper level, besides just liking it musically. Um, and I think that's what—that's obviously what makes people feel uncomfortable when they're just like, oh, like you're stop talking to me about this stuff because I don't want to think about it. Um, but then how you yourself, like you said, like you—you you thrived on that, and that it does take a very specific person to not only obviously enjoy touring but then to enjoy that sort of night after night of like all right who who when we show up to this town what group of people have we pissed off
1: yeah i you know now that you mentioned it was almost a thriving on that conflict it was almost a surrogate for i i didn't think we were a very good band you know i i thought we didn't know how to be a band Mm -hmm. musically we didn't know how to you know we just played these songs and and then then tore strips off people and tried to antagonize uh, the meatheads in the crowd, but I never felt back then like we were a good band. So that I probably thinking out loud again, I'm, it was probably probably I was trying to you know get some you know replace the feeling that a, that a great band, a great live band would have with something else.
0: Right. Yeah. You're like, okay, I know we're not le- we're not legitimately a band, but I think we can
1: serve a purpose here. <laughs> yeah we can create a spectacle here tonight people that you will never forget right And it's true like i mean if you look uh, i don't know if you ever heard about the gilman street show we played one time it became a, a bootleg that went around but it was we had the entire crowd tire crowd wanted to kill us at gilman street you know? <laughs> right so now we're don't want to pat myself on the back we're a fucking great live band now so the uh Maybe that's partly why I don't really uh, indulge so much in in that kind of stuff, but also a little more nuance in my life, so right combination of those things,
0: yeah yeah, um, and so then you also strike me um, you know as a person where you, were you by default because usually people look at the singers of bands as being like, "Oh, that guy is the sort of business person of the band um, did you like by default fill that role or did you just kind of like, did, you know, did you have an interest in that and kind of trying to like maintain a, you know, organizational aspect to the band or is that something that just got thrust on you?
1: No, I zero, zero interest, zero ability. It's it'll be to this day. I mean, George is the closest thing to somebody who has any idea of how to fill out any piece of paperwork. You have <laughs> yeah. No idea. And it's one of the, it's, I, it's, it's stupid, but it's one of the things I will pride myself on at, at the end of this run. You know, at the end of the day for propaganda, is I do not know how to run a business. And I, I love that about the band.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I know, I know how to do something uh, that will sink you. And I know how to, yeah. do, <laughs> I know how to do something yeah. that will, will bring you financial
1: ruin. Yeah. If someone comes to me and asks me a question about uh, the logistics of, of how you run a band, I, they might as well go ask. Fucking five year old, <laughs> truly, I have no clue, right. and and I, I don't mind that at all. I'm almost proud of it, except it's stupid.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> In hearing hearing certain aspects of of you describing yourself as a person, you you strike me as a very uh, stubborn person. <laughs> Is, is that, am I correct in that or is that just? Uh, uh,
1: I, don't okay.
0: I don't know. Like, in, in what sense? Or maybe not stubborn, but you, you definitely, there, there's a lot of pride in what you are, are speaking about. Like you said, you're just like, yeah, this is a sort of badge of honor of being you know, completely dumb about the way to do a band, but uh, I'm proud of that. And I, <laughs> I have a sense of pride. So, maybe, yeah, maybe stubborn is a bad word, but like, uh, you, you're prideful, for lack of a better term
1: maybe I, I at least these days I can roll with anybody. Yeah. I don't know. I maybe, yeah, I'm not sure what the word is. Yeah. Not, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm almost just, I'm resigned to who we really are. There's no more, you know, there's no way to spin it anymore. Not that we ever tried to necessarily spin it, but it is what it is. Totally.
0: And so then, you know, kind of focusing on the, uh, the aspect of, uh, never really doing the band, uh, from a sort of, professional standpoint in the sense of like you know you guys never adhered to release schedules you guys never adhered to like oh well it's been 18 months it's time to do a new record during that whole time you you know you yourself have never you know i mean have have you had to have other sort of like jobs from that perspective i know obviously g7 kind of played into that towards the you know early part of of the band but you know did you ever have to you know kind of resort to like well i gotta get this other job in order to Obviously, take care of your family when that started to be kind of part of the picture and stuff like that.
1: I mean, we've always poked around with other things. Um, I've done odd audio jobs, you know, for other bands. Jord actually delivers mail in, intermittently. Todd has taught jujitsu intermittently. You know, we there's there's always we're, we're kind of we're dumb, but we're resourceful, right? And, and right. we're also we're also uh, we don't live extravagant lives. We live. I mean, We don't spend money on anything. So. We have a lot of things going for us for not having to to either push the band in some tacky or insincere way mm-hmm. and and we have zero problem having to take up other work to make ends meet like it's there's not i don't, we don't feel we're not ashamed of it or disappointed well, maybe George's a bit disappointed he doesn't like delivering that mail but, right. Uh, <laughs> right other than that you know it's it you know what are you gonna do you know everyone's gotta yeah. Gotta, got to pay the rent. Of course. Yeah. You got to put it, you got to, you got to put it together. Um, And plus, I mean, we've been, I have to say, we've been incredibly lucky as a band through whatever trickling record sales are left or through, through the, the meager tours that we do. Like they're, there's still enough people coming out that makes it worthwhile, like economically, not just spiritually, but economically.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think I'm glad you brought that up because it is interesting for me watching, I mean, since I've seen you guys basically on every, you know, new record you've put out, it it is really weird to see, to me, it's weird to see people pick up on you guys, obviously, later in your, your career because in all, I mean, your music is challenging, like picking up, your you know your your last two LPs it's definitely not one of those things where it's like oh this is catchy like there are catchy moments to it but it's like you know if you're looking at your musical career obviously it's like you look at your earlier stuff and it's like oh anybody can kind of get into that quote unquote but it, it's you, you still do see this sort of uh, younger fan base that that kind of tends to come out. Uh, does it does it surprise you when you show up to a, a show and you're like, oh wow, like they're we're not pulling the thirty to forty year olds like we always do.
1: I, gen- I generally <clears throat> look out and I do see the thirty and forty year olds, but I'm always I always do see you know a few of the younger people there, and I'm stoked and appreciative of it because I, like like you say, like with our band, we haven't made it easy for people, <laughs> despite ha- having over the course of our history is essentially. Having insulted the core values of every single per- person on the planet at some point or another, um, we, we we've never given anybody you know something to hang their hat on. The record, each record sounds different, and that's that is suicide. You know, for, from a commercial standpoint, if people can't depend on you to sound similar to something that really satisfied them before, not a business plan that people recommend, but it's it's also it's artistic integrity, I guess. It's, uh, it's just it's just what we do. It's what we like, and you know we're not a we're not a. The problem I think for us is we're not a metal band, we're not a punk band in other people's eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that makes it harder for them to you know oh, I'm into punk, so I like propaganda You know I'm into metal. I like like metalheads don't like us. Punks don't like us. uh Some weird grouping of thirty to forty year old guys in in uh, professional sports baseball hats seem to like us generally. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Uh, um, there's two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. I, I have to commend you on the amazing work that you do, honestly, with the escape velocity podcast. Um, the thing that I like so much about it is that the fact that you, know, you guys obviously you know, distill either important issues or obviously get someone that is very knowledgeable about that particular issue that you 're talking about, but you you distill it in a way that obviously makes a person who you know me n- not ever spending a ton of time in Canada besides like the coasts to be engaged with the, you know, the issues that you go through in, in Canada and like to even give a shit about that. So it's like the fact that you're, you're able to sort of like galvanize people towards something or at least ha- have a general awareness is, is pretty awesome. Have you found the podcasting as, as a format to be, you know, beneficial for you? And that's obviously why you guys, you know, continue to to do
1: it. I appreciate, I appreciate the kind words, by the way. But I, I, I do think it, the reason that we do do it is because Derek and I are still interested in, we, we, we clearly don't have all the answers ourselves. And it's interesting to, uh, we're interested about a lot of different things and, and we're interested in exploring them and learning about them and uh, instead of telling people about them. And <laughs> and the whole the whole point is, it's not just for other people. Yeah, it's for us to kind of, to learn and grow uh, because it's harder for t- Speaking for myself as, as, you know, I'm a dad of two kids now. I feel, you know, I'm kind of chained down To trying to be this responsible parent, bringing up two young kids in a in a very fucked up world, it's hard for me to get out and 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 go to activities or events or uh, lectures or demonstrations where there is a vibrant exchange of ideas. So this for me, this is this is where that exchange of ideas happens. I keep that you know with the intent of keeping my mind somewhat sharp as I get older, instead of just becoming a bitter. Stagnant fool.
0: I I really like the way that you put that because that that you you never think about it. Obviously, when you first started to get into you know radical culture, counterculture, different music, that this is something that has to be sustained. Like, and it it the, the older you get, the harder it is. Like you're saying, yeah. because there's all these barriers that are put up in between you. Um, and that, that's the one thing it's like I, I've always found myself telling people where it's like, dude, whoever is still here when they're, you know, whatever, 30, 35 years old, 40 years old, those are the people who are, are engaged with it. And you should be speaking to them because they're going to know way more than your average, you know, whatever, 18 to 20 year old because they really haven't worked To, I guess, kind of, uh, you know, foster that relationship with that particular either political movement or music or whatever it is you want to engage with. It's it's not easy
1: for sure. And I mean, when I was 18, I certainly didn't give a fuck what some 45 year old guy (laughs) had to say about anything. So
0: totally (laughs) Um, the last thing I want to hit on was actually something you alluded to where it was like, you know, you're how old are your children now?
1: Uh, one, one of them is one year old and one of them is five.
0: Yeah. You're, you're in the middle of it, man. I have a, I have yeah. a, I have a three and a half year old. So we're, we're, and something that I often, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 34. so I'm, I'm a bit younger than you, but I, we, I think that we probably still have these same uh, principles in our head in regards to the way that we are uh, trying to influence a, obviously a younger generation and our own offspring from that perspective. Is it weird to like reconcile these ideas of like, Okay, these are the traditional ideas of of what you know a, a father has to be and a father has to do versus what your own experience was of of the you know the the quote unquote rebellion that you went through when you were obviously getting into you know punk and hardcore and metal and all that sort of stuff. I guess a simpler way to distill it is I'm always looking ahead at being like, all right, what is my son? Going to do to bum me out? What is he going to bring home that I'm either going to not understand? Like, it's just, and honestly, it's like that in many respects, it causes anxiety because I'm like, using an example, like if he came home when he was 14 and was like super into insane clown posse and he was a juggalo, (laughs) while that is a, you know, a bummer in some respects, I'll understand it. I know where that culture comes from. So it's like, I don't know if there's any of those thought processes that are going around in your head as a father where it's like, oh man, like, I know they're going to have to rebel, but what are they going to do?
1: It's, it's funny. I, I, I kind of have a, a similar anxiety, but it's, it's what has happened for me is that uh, intellectually I've always thought, you know, you know, walking down the street, see some, you know, haggard younger guy who looks older than he should sort of dressed in insane clown posse type of stuff, for example, since we're talking about that, you know, it's like walk by him and kind of, you know, snicker to yourself like, oh, what a fool. I think I'm not sure I really ever did that. Our culture does that. And having kids has made me think, well, that's somebody's kid. That could be my kid. My kid could be that guy. And I'm going to fucking snicker at this kid. I'm not going to snicker at my kid when he makes these choices. You know, I don't, I'm not going to laugh at somebody being, you know, hapless on the street, making some bad choices. It's not, uh, somebody loves that guy. You know, that's, that's kind of, that's what I've kind of taken away at this point. And, And I'll cross that bridge when, when, when the insane clown posse record shows up but uh i don't know if if i was really going somewhere with that but that was that just triggered that thought
0: well I, i see what you're saying it's like with age comes perspective and you have this idea where it's like okay that that particular person that you may look and snicker at where it's like oh my gosh like that you know that's a ridiculous subculture that person would look at what you know probably you and i experienced when we were coming up as teenagers and like what the fuck? You wearing a wallet chain and like some like you know? They would look at our our sort of aesthetics and be like, "Oh, that's that's ridiculous as well." Yeah. So there's that that uh, I guess that level of understanding that is I guess easier to come by as yeah. you, as you get older, I guess.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, you and I both know when our kids make even, you know, bad life decisions, we're going to love them to death. We, we won't be able to help it
0: regardless of whatever it is that they're doing to rebel. Like even if it's maddening, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. No, well, the, and the, like I said, sorry, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, what other creative outlets do you find yourself kind of like either getting excited about stuff that you can obviously spend your time in? Cause I mean, you've, you've done some writing.
1: Not really. I'm, I'm, I think I'm too, I don't have enough discipline to, to be a, well, I actually don't have enough discipline to be in a band, but I also, I, <laughs> I, I've just, we just happen to make it work, but I don't think I have enough discipline to be the kind of writer that, you know, when I see people whose writing, I respect, uh, there's a real discipline to it, to making it happen. And I, I don't have that. I think outside of the band, I don't know if I have a lot of other creative outlets. I think, I think, I've I've never been really an artistic or musical person. I just kind of fell into it and I think uh you know I I think hockey is my other outlet in my life right. playing hockey, you know, which I am equally not good at. But uh it it makes me happy. Do you do you play
0: in a a league? Do you play pickup yeah. games? How do you how do you function with uh, that?
1: We play in what's called an adult safe hockey league where there's not supposed to be any you know open ice hits or elbows to the face or fighting, mm-hmm. but all that stuff eventually happens at some point. But it's just something. It's a throwback to my childhood growing up in rural Manitoba. That's what you did. It's all everybody did, and if you didn't do it. You didn't really do anything, so.
0: right? 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 I, I always appreciated that aspect. Your your band and the fact that it's like, okay, you can be into sports, but you don't have to be a jock. Like yeah. there, there's there's that dividing line that you drew where it's like because people usually lump one with the other, and it's like that's not always the case. And beer league,
1: I mean, there are, there are people in in our we call it a beer league up here uh, at our age, but uh, it does attract those kind of you know failed hockey stars that. You know that want that are acting like they're playing in the nhl but but generally generally when all is said and done it's just a you know everybody's there just to have a good time and there is a some sense of superficial sense of community there that uh that i enjoy yeah next yeah
0: yeah that's awesome I, I i told you i wouldn't talk about hockey but i did and i apologize <laughs> <laughs> Well, I really, really appreciate this conversation, Chris. I, uh, it's, it's it was a long time for me coming, and I was uh, I was glad you were able to communicate over Twitter to set this up. <laughs> uh,
1: cheers, Ray. I really appreciated talking today day too. I think I needed to appreciate that. Uh,
0: that I, I'm glad we serve a function for one another. So-, <laughs> so there was that. Yeah, like I said, it's I'm still thinking about that conversation even though i had it honestly a few months ago just listen to propaganda let your mind be blown by the music by the message by everything that the band they're they're a total package let me just put it that way okay i'm eternally grateful to chris for having this conversation if you are new to the show hop into the archive listen to some other interviews because if you like this then you probably would like guests i've had And visit 100wordspodcast.com. Sign up for the email list on the right side of the page. And the producer for this show, as always, is Tom Richfield, my dude. And until next week, be safe, everybody.